Um, we're beginning a new series today. Actually, we kind of began a new series, uh, if you will, on Wednesday night. We're going to be focusing the entire month of February uh, on worship. And I believe that uh, the Lord is going to speak to you uh, through the Word today. So if you will stand with me. I never read this many verses of Scripture. I'm going to read it quite kind of quickly because we're going to be telling a story today. We're going to be in the book of Ezra, chapter 10, reading verses 1 through 19 in the New King James Version. The word said, Now while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing and weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and all those who have been born to them, according to the advice of my master and one of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. Remember that. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. I want to read that verse again. Arise, for this matter, he's speaking to the priest, is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Then Ezra arose and he made the leaders of the priest, the Levites, that's your singers and praise team in, in modern day biblical terminology, and all of Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib. And when he came there, he ate no bread and he drank no water because he was fasting. For he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem. And that whosoever would not come within three days, according to the instructions of the leaders and elders, all of his property would be confiscated. That's one way to get him to do what you tell him to do. And he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month of the twentieth of the month, and all the people that sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves. Say separate yourselves. From the peoples of the land and from pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people. It is the season for heavy rain, and we are not able to stand outside, nor is this the work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. In other words, there's many of us who have sinned and taken these pagan wives. Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times together with the elders and the judges of their cities until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. Only Jonathan the son of Asahel and Jehaziah, the son of Tikva, opposed this. And Meshulam and Shebathai, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest, with certain heads of the father's households, were set apart. We already said separate yourselves. They were set apart by the father's households, each of them by name. They sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. 
By the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. Last two verses. And among the sons of the priests who have taken pagan wives, the following were found the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brothers, Messiah, Eliezer, Jerob, and Gedaliah. And they gave their promise that they would put away their wives. And being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering. I want to preach to us this morning our first message in the series, I Worship, about divorcing sin. Divorcing sin. If you will, one more time, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for your word today. God, I pray you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what your word is speaking to us this day. I pray, Lord, you would move me out of the way, decrease me until I'm nothing, that your Holy Spirit would be increased within me. And don't let me speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom. Don't even let me speak with my own words. But God, let every word that comes out of my mouth be your word. And let it come forth in the demonstration of your Holy Spirit and with his power. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. The entire month of February, we're going to be talking about worship on both Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. Worship is not a plan or a performance. Now, y'all help me preach. It's 11 o'clock, or actually by now, it's 11.38, so you should be well awake, right? Worship is not a plan or a performance. It is not merely the time that we just spend singing in church. It is not, uh, worship is not about the lights and the media and all of those things that enhance even the sound uh, and, and the vocalist and the instrumentalist, all of those things that enhance an atmosphere of worship, and I completely believe in doing that, but that is not what worship is about. Worship is a heartfelt response to a God who is awesome. A heartfelt response to the Savior of our souls. To a heartfelt response of God, a God who is sovereign and who is on the throne today, even amongst this crazy world that we live in where it seems like anything goes. Can I get a witness this morning? Can I also tell you that worship is important? How many believe that? Worship is a vital part uh, of a service. As a matter of fact, whether you have really worshipped yet at this point or not, did you realize that worship is the sole purpose for which you are seated here today? This is a worship service. That's what we call it, right? So it's my prayer that we as a body of believers never spend our time getting here only to miss our opportunity to do what we came here to do, right? So here are a few things that we talked about this past Wednesday night. Those of you that were here, help me. Those of you that were not, please go back and watch the archive because I believe that the Lord just gave me that message uh, on Wednesday to share with you. First of all, true worship isn't dependent on the atmosphere. True worship changes the atmosphere. True worship is not about my worth. True worship is about His worth. True worship is giving everything we have to God, holding nothing back. And true worship also cannot be silenced 
by our circumstances. If you were here this past Wednesday night, you heard me share the story how that as we went back for Phyllis to see Ray for the last time at the hospital before the funeral home took him, she stopped at the door with Angie on one side and me on the other and just kind of leaned back into my shoulder. And the Lord just kind of helped me to share a few things with her because if there's anything I've learned in pastoring, it's that in those moments when you don't have something good to say, just be there and be silent. But as she leaned back into my shoulder, I said some things and gave her some scripture that helped her. But I didn't help her as much as she helped Angie and I. When we opened that door and went in that room, of course she grieved. We pulled a chair up beside Ray's bed, and she sat down in it, and Angie and I got down on our knees beside her in the floor. And after she grieved for a few moments, she sat back in that chair, and she lifted both hands with tears streaming down her face, and she said, God, I praise you for 21 years of a blessed marriage. God, I thank you. And she went on for five minutes worshiping the Lord. That, my faith family, is true worship. When you can worship in the midst of those circumstances, that is true worship. And in our main text this morning, we pick up this story after the temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem and worship has been restored. That's where we pick up at this part of the story. And you see, the affairs of the church were good in appearance, both inside the church and without, outside the church. And when you look outside the church, you find in chapter 9, if you read backwards, that the government was even good to the church at this time. You don't hear any complaints of persecution or oppression. Their enemies had had their hearts turned or at least their hands tied. You don't see where they were subject to uh, enemies. Their neighbors were civil. We don't hear of any uh, wars or rumors of wars. Uh, there were There was none to make them afraid. Uh, all was as well as could be considering that they were few and poor and subject to a foreign prince. And then you look at home. We hear nothing of Baal, not one single word about Baal or Ashtaroth, nor Moloch, nor images, nor groves. If you know about uh, the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, uh, and if you know about uh, the story of Aaron, no golden calves, uh, not even so much um, as high places. There were no idolatrous altars, uh, no separate altars, but the temple of God was duly respected and the temple service carefully kept up. But yet, not everything was well either. You see, the purest ages of the church have always had some corruptions. And the case was no different here in this story. The church, as we know it, will never be presented without spot or wrinkle until it's a glorious church, or the church triumphant, as the word declares it. The church as we know it, here's a newsflash, public service announcement. If you're looking for a perfect church, the church as we know it will always be imperfect as long as it has people in it. Somebody say amen. But when we begin to ignore 
and justify our imperfections rather than acknowledging and repenting of them, we hinder the work of God. Let me say that again. When we begin to ignore and justify our imperfections rather than acknowledge and repent of them, then we are hindering the work of God. So if we really want to put the kingdom first and we really want the work of God to go forth, then it becomes necessary for the priest to do what Ezra did, and that is to stand up boldly and call out the sins of the people and require and and lift a call for repentance. We must call out the sins of the church that are hindering the work of the Lord. Probably won't get a lot of help today, but that's okay. Sins that if they're left unaddressed will hinder the progress of the kingdom. And in this particular instance, the men had taken strange wives, is what the word said. They had taken wives that were forbidden from their culture, if you will. And Ezra, if he wanted to get rid of the hindrance in order to see progress in the house of God, he had no choice except to stand up and call those sins out and make a call for repentance. Can I tell you, if we want to see revival in the church today, I'm not just talking about Freedom Point Church. I'm talking about the church. If we want to see true revival in the church today, then I tell you, if you are a minister of the gospel, you have no choice when you take the pulpit than to call out sins that are hindering the progress of the kingdom and to make a call and a plea for repentance. Because without repentance, as long as the sin is swept under the rug, as long as the sin is just ignored, as long as the sin is just justified, we will not see revival. We will not see souls saved. We will not see bodies healed. We will not see miracles performed. And if we call ourselves preachers that may watch me or listen to the podcast later, if we call ourselves ministers of the gospel, there should not even be a debate on the inside of us we have no choice if we are called of God than to call out the sin and cry for repentance see there's the problem though in the church today nobody wants their sin called out and nobody wants to repent but my problem with that is that there can be no real kingdom progress until both of those things take place. But when Ezra called out the sin and called for repentance, what he did was start a revival in the church. Because when repentance occurs, people don't just acknowledge their sin, they turn from it. That's repentance. I saw some looks right then like, whoa, now wait a minute, what are you talking about? It's one thing to come to this altar or find you an altar somewhere else and ask God to forgive you. But if you're truly repentant, when you get up from that altar, you'll try your best with everything in you not to do that again. That 
is true repentance. And when repentance occurs, people don't just acknowledge their sin, they turn from it. They don't continue in it. Hello. They put a stop to it. And here, in this instance, as strange as this is, they had to put away strange wives and even the children that they had had with them. They had to clean house, if you will, with the church and get the things out that didn't belong there. I said they had to clean house with the church and get the things out that didn't belong there. I'm not talking about people, but there's a lot of things that don't belong in the church. I know this may sound extreme to you, but what you have to remember is this is a picture, a type and a shadow of the church. Now, don't anybody get no wild ideas and think I'm calling for anybody to divorce anybody or leave your kids. That's foolish to even think, and that goes against what the New Testament teaches about marriage. But what I am saying is this. The church, the church, has allowed herself to become married to some strange things that are strictly forbidden in Scripture. And because of this, see what happens when you get married, I don't know, I saw this meme on Facebook that I couldn't help but laugh at yesterday. I think somebody here shared it. I don't remember who it was, but it said something about straight pride. Has anybody, has anybody seen that? Instead of the other kind of pride, straight pride. And it said it's natural, it's God's design, and hey, you can have babies. Because when you get married, you produce offspring, right? When the church marries some strange things, we produce offspring that are unregenerate. We call them saved. Oh, ain't nobody going to help me preach now because we're in the church of God and we all about numbers. We call them saved. We list them on the report and we tell them they're okay and we pat them on the back, but nobody tells them, hey, that sin you've been living in, it's time to stop that. Nobody tells them, hey, that social drinking you've been doing, it's time to, oh, yeah, it's time to let that go. Nobody tells them, hey, that premarital, I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes, but that premarital sex that you've been involved in, it's time to stop doing that. If you call yourself a child of God, we're producing offspring that are not really regenerated. They've had some type of emotional experience, and their blood will be on our hands if we lead them to believe that their sin will enter into heaven. Pastor, what are you talking about? The church is married to some forbidden things. I've already got ahead of myself in my notes, but look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. They'll put it on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible. Paul said, they've got King James. I've got New King James. That's okay, though. I'll read that. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Watch this. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, that is homosexuals or sodomites, is what New King James says, nor thieves, um, 
They said abusers of themselves with mankind, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Not ready for that one yet. Here we go. Paul said, don't be deceived. In other words, don't be fooled. Don't let anybody make you think that these things are okay just because people do them and they work in the church. Don't let anybody tell you that it's okay just because they attend church and maybe they usher or greet or God forbid they get on the platform and play worship and sing in the band or teach a Sunday school class. Somebody help me this morning. Don't let anybody make you think that these things that Scripture has strictly forbidden are okay. When God says it's wrong, it's wrong regardless of what your opinion is. It's not up for political debate. If God's word says it's wrong, that's the end of the story. It's wrong. Now, we're talking about worship, right? My worship does not offset my sin. My worship does not offset my sin. Worship is good, and worship is necessary. But worship does not negate the fact that you cannot cover up sin or hide sin behind your worship. And when you do, if you're not careful, church, you will find yourself married to that sin, justifying that sin. And ultimately deceiving yourself and thinking that you can somehow continue in that sin and still help to progress the kingdom of God at the same time. But you are not progressing the kingdom. Did you hear me? You are not progressing the kingdom. You are hindering the kingdom. Let me preach here just a minute. We do have kids church. I hope you send them there. Because we're in an explicit scripture. All my college kids are sitting on the edge of their seats. Ready. Here we go. Fornication is sin. Mm -hmm. Sex is a wonderful thing. But sex before marriage is not okay. Uh-huh. Not getting as much help as I'd like up here in this holiness church. Shacking up together. And yes, that's what I said. And then working in the local church is not okay. You will not do anything except hinder the kingdom until you repent of that sin. Idolatry is sin. Anything you put before God, anything you put before God is not okay. I don't care if it's a hobby, a person, a sport, an income stream, or a child that you're trying to live vicariously through. Anything you put before God on your priority list is a sin. Adultery is a sin. 
I'm going to say it again. Hope you sent them kids to kids' church. Sex is a wonderful thing. But once you're married, sex with anyone else besides your spouse is not okay. Stop trying to hide it. It's sin. And until you repent of it and stop doing it, you won't be blessed. Your marriage won't be blessed. Your home won't be blessed. And the church won't be blessed. Homosexuality is a sin. Lord, just put that scripture back up there for me if you don't care. I'm just going through them one by one. Same-sex relationships are not okay. Oh, I know it's getting, I know it's, I know it's going to get quiet. We've all got them in our family. I realize that. I love mine. I've, I've got one. I, I love them dearly. Married to the same sex. But that doesn't change the fact that God's word says it's sin. Yet, many churches condone it. Condone it. I'll never understand for the life of me how some churches even celebrate it. And they allow it in pulpits. And they allow it to work in children's church. They allow it to lead worship or to teach a discipleship class or even to lead a small group. Here's the one that really gets me. Some of them even have a small group specifically for all of them of their kind. I'll never understand that. But what's happened, Pastor? I'll tell you what's happened. The church world has allowed themselves to become married to it. And I know it's not popular. And I know it might make somebody upset when I say this. But the fact that we've become married to it does not change the fact that it's a strange spouse. Do you hear me? It's a strange spouse of the church. It's strange. It's not normal. It's contrary to God's word. Your body was not designed to go with a body like your body. Your body was designed to go with the opposite sex. I don't want to get too explicit, but I think you can figure it out. And if you can't, I'll take the men to the restroom and Angie can take the ladies to the restroom and give you just a little bit of education this morning. But we have allowed people to just say what they want to say about it, act how they want to act about it, and then we say it's okay. Just let them do it. If they want to work in the church, let them greet. If they want to be in a small group, let them lead a small group. I'm not against people. People doing things in the in the work of God. But what I am against is leading people to believe that their sin is okay when God's word strictly prohibits it. It's not normal. It's contrary to the word of God. And until it's called out and repented of, it will always be a hindrance to the progress of the kingdom. The next one, theft. Is a sin. Taking what doesn't rightfully belong to you is not okay. Going to get quiet now. I've been in finance for 26 years. I've seen a lot of church people do some strange things. I'm not saying this church. Because 
if you go to this church, if you come to me, I'll thank you for coming to Hometown Bank and take you to one of my colleagues. That's a conflict of interest for me. So I ain't talking about anybody here. But I've seen some church people do some strange things. Running up a bill or a credit card with the intention of not paying it back is not okay. Just because you call yourself a Christian, that's not okay. Financial hardship is one thing. But not paying your debts intentionally is sin. It's sin. And maybe you pay your bills. But what about your tithes? Now they're really going to get mad at me. What's a tithe? A tithe is 10% of your income. Whatever you make, 10% of that is what your tithe is. And, and, and if you consider yourself a Christian, it's not a should do. It's a must do. Oh, no, wait a minute, Pastor. You're calling me a thief if I don't pay my tithes? Now, first of all, Karen can vouch for me. I don't look at tithe records so I can preach this the way I want to. You're saying I'm a thief if I don't pay my tithes? Malachi said, not me. Malachi said, will a man rob God? But you've robbed me in your tithes and offerings. That's what he said. Don't be upset. Oh, I know it's quiet now. Don't be, everybody's thinking, oh, move on, move on. Please move on. It's not my words, folks. It's God's word. And until it's called out and repented of, it'll always be a hindrance to the progress of the kingdom. And it'll always be a hindrance to your personal financial growth. Next. Everybody went, ah. Covetousness is sin. Being dissatisfied with what you have and always wanting what somebody else has is not okay. It's sin. That's what the word calls it, covetousness. Oh, getting on Facebook and Instagram and start being jealous of what somebody else has got. Jealous of somebody else's husband's income. Or wives, it goes both ways. Jealous of what somebody else has got instead of being thankful for what God has blessed you with. Get off of Facebook and put your face in the book and start being thankful for what God's blessed you with. Because God won't bless you with more until you're thankful for what He's already blessed you with. And He also can't bless you if you're robbing Him. Well, they said He did it again. Here we go next. Being a drunkard is sin. It's not okay. It's unpopular to say in the church today because it's okay lots of places. I had a guy I love dearly. I've known him, Corbin, for years. Tell me one day, he always called me preacher, come in and talk to me and sit down in my office one day and told me, he said, I, he said, I just love my pastor. He said, you know, my pastor sits down and has a glass of wine with me all the time. I said, well... He said, would you have a glass of wine with me? I said, nope. Why? Because for one thing, in the church of God, if you're going to be credentialed minister, you take an oath that you'll abstain from alcohol as a beverage. That's one reason. Another reason is because somebody might see me taking that drink and it might hinder my witness and I want to do everything I can to get people to heaven. And then there's this other thing. And I know some of you are probably going to disagree with me with, but I know in the... The majority of the church world has become married to social drinking. Let's just face it. Married to it. God help us. 
I said, God, help us. Then we wonder why the church today has no power. Now, 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 wait a minute, Pastor. Social drinking does not make me a drunkard. Really? If you have to have a drink to be social, you're a drunkard. Okay. All right. You don't agree with that? Let's do it. Let's do it your way. Come on up here, Garrett. Power. Garrett, nice looking young man, ain't he? Lord, appease me at least. I mean, I'm sorry, man. I didn't. Anyway, let me try that again. Garrett, nice looking young man, isn't he? Kyle is his girlfriend. They come to Bible study on Tuesday nights. Now, Garrett's going to freak out when I say this. I know he is. I just got a question for you. How many men does Garrett have to kiss in order for you to say he's gay? I told you he's going to freak out on me. He's like, I'm ready to sit down now. Does somebody just answer the question for me? How many men does he have to kiss? Thank you, Brennan. One. Before you'll say he's gay, right? Trust me, he ain't going to go kissing on no men. Sit down, buddy. Thank you. One. He kisses one, you're going to say he's gay. Just stick with me. I'm, I'm married to Angie. I ain't going to make her get up here because she'd kill me. But how many women besides her do I have to sleep with to be an adulteress? I got news for you. That's the same number I have to sleep with to die. One. One, right? Well, how many alcoholic beverages does it take for you to be considered a drunkard? And why is everything else one, but that's 10 or 20 or 30? I rest my case. In any event, it's not okay. And until it's called out, of the church and repented of and we divorce that strange spouse it'll hinder the progress of the kingdom being a reviler that's sin what's a reviler the definition of revile is this to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner I'm afraid the church is married to the concept of reviling you don't think so? Let somebody in this church post their personal political view on social media. And you watch what the Christians do. Uh-huh. It's not okay. I said it's not okay. And until it's called out and repented of, it will always hinder the progress of the kingdom. Moving on. Extortion is sin. What's extortion? Extortion is the practice of obtaining something through force or threats. We often want to skip over this one because most of us think of extortion involving money. But extortion involves more than money. Most of the time, extortion is more about getting your way. Mm -hmm. Let me read the definition again. It is the practice of obtaining something through force or threats. The church, by and large, has become married to the practice of extortion. Pastor, you've done lost your mind. Really? How many times do you think that I preached on something and somebody threatened to leave the church if I didn't apologize or retract the statement. 
But you know what that is? That's extortion of the gospel. Now, don't come to me and ask me who they were, but some of them, I had to show them the door because I'm not going to apologize and I'm not going to retract the statement. If it's God's word, I'm going to preach it and the truth will stand when the world's on fire. It's sin. Extortion is sin. Extortion of the gospel is sin. And as much as I love people, and as much as I want to continue to grow, if you're looking for somebody to make you comfortable in your sin, you're at the wrong place. Because this year we're going to try to focus on getting as uncomfortable as we possibly can. Because here's what I found in my walk with Christ. The more uncomfortable we become, the more like Jesus we strive to be. Did you hear me? That's why people don't strive to be like Jesus anymore. There's not anybody telling them anything that's uncomfortable. They think Jesus was a homosexual and a drunkard and everything else under the sun. Just watch some of the movies that's been put out on Netflix about him. But I came to tell you, he was not. There was no sin found in him. No guile, the Bible even said, in his mouth. And if we're going to be like him, we've got to divorce some strange spouses that we've become married to in the church. We've got to put them away. We've got to put away the offspring that's came from them, false preachers of the gospel, and everything else that wants to rise up and exalt itself over the name of God. And we've got to start preaching Jesus. And we've got to start preaching a heaven to gain and a hell to shun because hell is real but so is heaven and if we're washed in the blood sanctified and born again we're on our way to heaven now I've saved the best one for last Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 and such were some of you but you were washed, oh hallelujah, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Is there anybody in the house? We had this in our Bible study this morning that will say with me, thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace and mercy. And such were some of you. You can only be washed, sanctified, and justified when you repent, though, and get rid of that sin. On Friday morning, Haley, if you want to come on and get ready. On Friday morning, the Lord woke me up with this on my mind. And the lyrics of this song were going over and over in my head. And I text Haley... Freaked her out a little bit. Not as bad as Garrett, but I said, I need you to do something for me because years ago I used to be her youth pastor. Years ago before we ever even planted this church. And she did sign to this song that she's going to do for you this morning. And I want you, if you will, to let it minister to you and let the lyrics soak in to what we need to receive from the Lord this morning because how many knows God wants to clean house with His church? God wants to sanctify his bride. Amen. Worship with Haley this morning.
food. As Nicholas comes to the music this morning, if you'll stand with me all over the house, here's what I believe. I believe God wants us to clear the stage. I believe God wants to start a revival. I truly believe this in this Tri-County area. And I truly believe that God wants a revival to start right here. But church, listen, because we come spend some time in this altar does not make us horrible people. It does not make us the vilest of sinners. The fact that we carry it with us and don't bring it here makes us vile sinners. We've all got some things. I said all. I include myself in that. We've all got some things we can divorce and let go of in order to see the work of God perfected in us. With every head bowed and every eye closed all over this room today, I want to ask if there may be somebody here, please with nobody looking around, somebody that says, Pastor, I don't even know if I'm ready to meet the Lord today. If I went out into eternity when I left, when I leave this place, before I ever make it back to where I came from, I don't even know if I would go to heaven. If that's you, would you just, nobody's looking around, just quickly slip, slip your hand up and put it back down. I'll give you just a moment. Anybody? You couldn't look at me. The good news is, everybody in this house testifies today that they're ready to meet the Lord. We're going to open this altar, and I'm going to invite you to put a mask on. we got plenty of place up here and on the front row, and then when that fills up, we'll just use what space we have out there. But I'm going to ask you, those that will, put a mask on and come this morning and say, God, I want to divorce everything unlike you in my life so that you can bless and use me for your glory. Because let me tell you something that you see week before last. Romans 12, 1 and 2 said, I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your most sincere act of worship. This series is called I Worship. You know why? Because the only person that can worship for you is you. So I invite you today, those that will join me, I'm going to be here, slip on a mask as they sing.